0: I was talking to Brother Tim McClendon not too long ago, and he said, that is the longest walk coming up those steps. And uh, he's right. He's right. Uh, I want you to take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 1, and I'm going to begin to read in verse 27. And I want to preach this morning on this subject, a church to die for. A church to die for. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through verse 30. Would you please stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. And the Bible says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. Let us pray. God, I pray that this will be more than just a talk, more than just a lecture, more than just a little devotional. Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would help me to deliver a message from on high this morning. Lord, I don't want to get up here and just spout off my opinions or or cut up. Lord, one thing we take seriously around here is your holy word. And Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that I would be a channel of blessing to your people. And Lord, i just confess one more time, Lord, I must decrease and you must increase. Lord, grant the harvest. And we ask for this in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, remember the book of Philippians, and we call it the book of Philippians, but in actuality it is an epistle. And the word epistle, it means letter. So this is the letter to the Philippian Christians from the Apostle Paul. And he's writing this letter from Rome where he is under house arrest. And he's writing to a church. A local assembly of believers. In the very first verse of the very first chapter of this letter, he speaks of the overseers, the bishops, those who pastor. He speaks of deacons. He speaks of the church officers. And he speaks to these Philippian Christians as people who are attached to a local body. They attend a local body. They're involved and a local body who participate through the ministry of a local body of believers. Now, as we look at this passage, we learn a little something about this particular church. We know it was a great church. It had a great beginning. It had a broad cross-section of people. We see the origin story in Acts chapter 16 of how it had that great beginning. It began in a great spiritual move of God. It was a great church. Paul commends them. He compliments them, but he also challenges them. He exhorts them. They are a great church, but if you are going to continue to be a great church, you have to continue to develop. You have to continue to expand. You have to continue to dream. You have to continue to reach out, to move forward. And if you're not careful, when a church becomes strong, It can begin to presume upon the grace of God and assume a sort of a self-sufficient mindset. It can develop an unhealthy pride in its reputation. And then, all of a sudden, instead of really ministering the life of Jesus Christ in the community where they're at, the church begins to promote itself. I think one of the greatest enemies of the church is the status quo. When we get satisfied, when we feel like we can rest just a little bit, that's when the devil is going to throw his biggest monkey wrench into the works. Paul is teaching us here that if we're going to be a great church, then we have got to continue to seek to be a great church and realize that we will never arrive we are never going to be finished with this. There will always be room for improvement. And so I want to show you here in the Word of God what I believe are the marks of a powerful church, a great church. And the first one is right here in verse 27, and it's the mark of consistency. Consistency. Now notice in what it says in verse 27, because a church is a body of believers. It's made up of individual Christians. And the church is only as healthy or as strong as the individual members that make it up. The Bible says in verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, I want you to notice this word conduct here, because it's not the normal word that's translated for conduct. It's not the usual word. There's another word that's used on a regular basis throughout the Bible that is translated as conduct, but this is a very precise, definite, special word. And it's only used twice in the New Testament. It speaks of being a citizen of a colony or an outpost and conducting yourself in accordance with the protocols and customs of the locality that you represent. Well, let me explain something to you about Philippi and why this word for conduct would really grip these people. You see, Philippi was a Roman colony. It it, it was even sometimes referred to as Little Rome. Now, you had Roman colonies scattered throughout the empire. Rome had conquered many lands, people who represented many different language groups, many customs, and they would establish these little independent colonies out on the frontier of the Roman Empire, and it helped to bring some cohesiveness toward the empire, helped keep the empire together to control it. It was sort of the glue that held the empire together. Now, sometimes... A colony was established by retired soldiers, retired military officers. And if a retired military officer would go and help establish a Roman colony, they would be granted Roman citizenship, which had a lot of benefits, a lot of perks. So many of the colonies had been established by retired military personnel. And so they understood the customs of Rome. They understood the way the Romans lived and acted. They were trained as Roman soldiers. They were servants of Rome. Another way a community or a town could become a Roman colony is through their devout loyalty to Rome. It was a reward if they had somehow distinguished themselves through their loyalty as a community. They were granted colony status, and they had all the rights and privileges accorded to Roman citizen. It was as if they were living in the capital city of Rome. Well, Philippi was a Roman colony, and they did not identify themselves as Philippians. They identified themselves as Romans. They, they dressed like citizens of Rome. They talked like citizens of Rome, and they wouldn't let any other culture usurp the dominance of the presence of Rome, and they were proud of being Romans. And when you came into the city, you felt as if you had stepped into the heart of Rome itself. So when he says in verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy And the word worthy means to correspond. Only let your conduct correspond to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he's saying? He's saying you are citizens of heaven. You're not a citizen of this world. You see that? And your conduct here should correspond with where your citizenship is there. So we are citizens of the kingdom of God Citizens of heaven, we are a colony of believers in an alien culture. So how do I conduct myself in a consistent way to let the world know that my citizenship is not of this world? That I'm different. I want to talk like Christians talk, right? I mean, if they're going to talk like Romans talk, I want to talk like Christians talk. And Christians don't have a bunch of bitterness in their mouth. They don't have a bunch of hatefulness in their mouth. They don't have a bunch of gossip in their mouth. Uh oh. Or character assassination in their mouth. It's inconsistent with my Christian citizenship. I don't have a bunch of coarse talk coming out of my mouth. I don't have a bunch of nasty cussing words coming out of my mouth. Or if you're from up north, a bunch of curse words. You know, I mean, I mean, are, are you hearing me this morning? My conversation reflects the fact that I am a citizen of a place called paradise. I'm a child of God. I'm not of this world. I'm just playing through. The Bible says we are peculiar people, and that does not mean odd or weird. It just means different. So my conversation, they would also dress like Romans. Now, I don't want to harp on this. I don't want to get into legalism, you know. but my dress should reflect the fact that I'm a citizen of heaven. When you went into Philippi, you felt like you were a because they all dressed like Romans did. I personally believe my body was bought with a price, that we are a holy people. I believe that our dress should reflect the fact that we're citizens of heaven. This goes for the guys, this goes for the girls. I didn't want to camp, I'm going to say this anyway. Yeah, guys, whether it's bicycle shorts, or Speedos. And man, I mean, you see some of the stuff on TV. Now, my wife and I, for we went to Bush Gardens and it's amazing. Well, people will, I wouldn't let my kids go wear that at a Walmart, man. You shut the TV on, you got some girl on there wearing a gownless evening strap. I mean, my goodness, man, what, what's the world coming to? There's no modesty. I believe that taste is always in fashion. I believe that modesty is always in fashion. I believe that how we dress ourselves, groom ourselves, should at least let a lost and dying world know that our hearts have been changed. Our private world is ordered, and we're children of the kingdom of heaven. Tell you something else, the Roman colony, they stayed in constant close touch with Rome. That's where they got their orders. That's where they got their direction. And folks, as a believer, as a citizen of heaven, I need to stay in constant touch through prayer and conversation with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When this crazy world around me tries to convince me that I'm the one that's gone nuts, that I'm the one that's gone off the reservation, that I need to throw in the towel, that if you can't beat them, join them. I just need to have a little talk with Jesus. you know. And and when I begin to converse with him and he begins to breathe a little bit of the atmosphere of heaven into my life, I begin to realize that I'm not crazy, that I'm doing the will of God. My citizenship is from above. So there's lots of ways that I could apply this when we're talking about, you know, our dress, our conversation, our conduct. We we are a culture of life. We are a culture of love. We are a culture of light. And we don't want the darkness, the hate, and the death to invade us. And so my conduct, the way I practically live out my life at home, at work, wherever I am, should correspond with the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because grace, when it's saving grace, is going to change you. So the first mark of a powerful church is consistency. It is filled with a bunch of people whose lives correspond with the gospel of Jesus Christ that they proclaim. Second mark, and it's also here, Paul reiterates this over and over and over in Philippians, and it's very important, I I personally believe that without this, a church is weak, it's ineffective, it will not bear fruit, it will probably even dry up and die on the vine, and that's the mark of unity. Unity. Now, this is a tough one. This is tough, okay? I mean, unity and union are two different things. I don't believe you have to chuck your beliefs for the sake of unity. I believe that there can be unity around, around sound theology Sound doctrine, sound beliefs. Union, just, just getting people together, that's not the same thing as unity. When I grew up, we had a clothesline. I don't, I not even see those around anymore, do you? I mean, I mean, damn dryer, dryer had a clothesline. And, uh, you know, and, and I know, I know some of you people out there are cutting edge. You know, some of you guys, you probably, hands are twisting because you haven't been able to text here for about the past 15 minutes. It's probably like an alcoholic on the DTs. You probably, But we used to have something that's called a clothesline. It's where you hung clothes out to dry. And uh, I heard a fella talk about uh, th- this... He said that you could take two tomcats, you could tie their tails together, you could throw them across a clothesline, and you might have union, but you'd never have unity. (laughs) So, I mean, I mean, uh, uh, how is it possible to have unity in a body of believers? We all come from different backgrounds. We come from different places. I'm a Virginia native. I was born in Richmond. I grew up over Newport News. I mean, some of you from different parts of the country. Some of you transferred here through the military. This is the last place you were posted in your naval career. You liked it, and you so you stayed here. And so we come from different parts of the country. People from Maine, they like lobster. People from out west, they like cornbread pinto beans. And, and if you're from Pennsylvania, maybe you like that Dutch-Germanic cuisine, that good stick-to-your-ribs type food. You know, and we, we, we got people here from different countries, people from different backgrounds, different likes and preferences. And yet, a powerful church is going to have unity. In a powerful church, there is one accord, I'm going to tell you how that's possible, and it's right here in the Word of God. Look in the last part of verse 27. It says, I want to hear that you stand fast. Now, folks, the devil is coming against the people of God, and we're supposed to stand shoulder to shoulder against the devil and evil and wickedness in this world. We're supposed to stand. We're not supposed to roll over or give over ground. You understand that, right? As soldiers, we have planted our feet. We're not moving back. I like what Patton said. We're not paying for the same real estate twice. We're not going to retreat. The Bible says we're to stand fast. Notice this, in one spirit. Now, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, right? So every believer is indwelt by the same Holy Spirit. And so even though you, like this baseball team or that baseball team or or you like baseball? Or you like football? Or, or you like go-karts? You like NASCAR? Or, I mean, you you like burritos? You like Chinese food? You know, I mean, you like collard greens and you know, chicken fatback? I, mean, I mean, we got we've got the same Holy Spirit, right? I mean, the the same Holy Spirit that wrought existence out of the void, the same Holy Spirit that descended on Jesus Christ when He was baptized in the Jordan, the same Holy Spirit that fell on the day of Pentecost, the same. Holy Spirit, the third person of the divine trinity, indwells the body of every believer. And so, we have more in common than what we think. We all have the same Holy Spirit. We've got something in common. No matter what our background, the Spirit of God is indwelling us. Now, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit who lives in you, He baptizes you the moment you get saved into the body of Christ. And so, you become a part of a living organism called the body of Christ. Christ. There are Christians all around this world. And, and that's what amazed me so much when me and my family, we went to Cambodia a few years back. And, and even though there was a language barrier, when we got together with the believers in Cambodia, there was a twinkle in their eye. There was a, there, our spirits bore witness. And any of you who've been overseas know what I'm talking about here, that even though there's a language barrier, there's not a Holy Spirit barrier. And so the Holy Spirit, he indwells us. The Holy Spirit puts us into the body of Christ. And the Bible says, together we stand fast. And notice the rest of this verse. The Bible says, striving together. That's an athletic term. Okay? It speaks of a team that works together in an athletic contest. Folks, we have got a common enemy. The devil. We have a common foe. We have a common aim. Our aim is to spread the gospel and make disciples. And so we have a common aim. We've got a common foe. We have a common Savior, the Holy Spirit who indwells every child of God. He has baptized us into one body. And so when Christians focus on the Holy Spirit being in us, and us being in the body of Christ, and us having the same foe and the same aim, then all of these little preferences, likes, dislikes, supposed slights and grievances begin to melt away because the Spirit of God gives us the big picture. And we become big picture Christians. And so there can be unity because of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, there's something else in this verse. It says we stand fast in one spirit. I want to point out one mind. When it's talking about one mind, it's talking about attitude. And so I have the attitude of Christ because I've got the spirit of Christ who's producing in me the love of Christ, the likeness of Christ in me because we all have the Holy Spirit. And since we're citizens of heaven, then we should on this earth be able to put aside the things we don't particularly agree on because we agree on the things that matter most. We need to stand fast shoulder to shoulder against the devil and I'll tell you this much if the believers the people of God who know Jesus Christ as their savior in the United States of America could ever get together upon spreading the gospel and standing for the truth we would have a spiritual outpouring and revival that would rock this world to its very core and would skill the live in daylights out of ISIS Al Qaeda maybe even drive the devil out of some of those politicians up in D.C. Amen. Amen. I'm mm. um, sorry, it's been a little while. I get a little spunky. Nah, we're sitting around here fussing and caring on about stuff that doesn't matter. What we like and what we don't like. And I could go down a whole rabbit trail on that one, man. But, but the first hallmark of a powerful church is consistency. Second mark is unity. The third mark is bravery. Bravery. Powerful Christians aren't wimps. They don't have lace on their Levi's. They're not pansies. Okay, whether they're male or female, I mean, they are strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Verse 28 says, and not in any way terrified. That word terrified there, it speaks of a horse that's been spooked. You ever see, I I like westerns. They don't make them anymore, but I like westerns. You ever see those things where they stampede the horses You there? Know, I mean, this is what it's talking about. It, 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 mean, it means a horse that's bolted or it's been spooked. It means to be intimidated. It says we're not to be intimidated by our adversaries. Now, folks, you know this. We've got adversaries. There's the devil, but you know what? He uses people, doesn't he? And you work with people out there, and, and they give you a hard time sometimes because you're a believer, because you're different. They give you a hard time. Now, you might not be burned at the stake. You might not get your head cut off and put on a pole. But they reject you. They mock you. They isolate you. They'll promote people past you at work. You'll be treated unfairly, unjustly. You're the victim of slander, verbal abuse, character assassination. You're shunned, ignored. So you can sometimes, it can sometimes be a little intimidating. Right? But the Bible says don't be intimidated. Look what the word says. I love this. It says what they're doing to you is proof of something. Verse 28 says that it's proof of something. Now, when those lost people out there, when you won't participate in their conversations and you don't go to some of the places they go, you don't buy into their value system, you don't laugh at some of their jokes, won't play along with their little games. You refuse to let them press you into their mold that they're setting up. And all of a sudden, they begin to talk about you, give you a hard time, start spreading stuff on you. That's proof of something. It proves two things. It ought to make you excited that they're acting like that. When I get ready to teach you from the Word of God this morning, when people mistreat you because of your Christianity. Now, now if they're mistreating you because you're a jerk, that's something else. All right? There's another verse for that. But but the Bible says if you're persecuted as a Christian because you're a child of God and because of your firm convictions, that proves two things. Number one, it proves they're lost. That's what the Word says. Look at verse 28. Don't be terrified of your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition or destruction. The way that they're acting is just a proof that they don't know Jesus Christ. Wouldn't know them if they got hemmed up with them in a the phone booth. I mean, if they had the Holy Spirit, they'd be loving on you, not mistreating you. If they had the Holy Spirit, they would be fellowshipping with you, not running running from you. I mean, they wouldn't be talking you down. They'd be building you up. They wouldn't be bitter. They'd be lavishing you with mercy and grace. And so the way they're acting, this proof they're lost. I mean, you know what else it proves? It proves you're safe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You think the devil's out there bothering lost people? He's got them. Why, why bother them? They're not, they're not a threat. All right? He, I mean, the, the, the people he's after are those that love the Lord. The people, the folks, the people that are a threat. The Bible says it's not just a proof of perdition, but it's a proof to you of salvation. So hallelujah. Amen. I mean, so when that, that crowd spits on me, Hallelujah, man. I mean, that that means I'm a Christian. That means I'm a threat. When they give me the cold shoulder, thank you. I mean, you've reminded me again that I'm not a citizen of this world. I'm a citizen somewhere else. And it's like my father used to tell me, son, when they're kicking you in the seat of the britches, that just means you're out front. (laughs) So be brave. I mean, stand true. Don't cower down. Don't be intimidated. Let me give you one more mark. First of all, consistency. Then unity. We're not not a bunch of fractured communities or special interest groups. We're one church. We're one church. It's a body of believers standing fast in the Holy Spirit. Be brave. Verse 29 says, it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. You won't hear any of those name it, claim it, pretty boys on TV saying this, but it's in the Bible. We look at it when people come against us and give us a hard time as an opportunity to show our love and our gratitude for the Lord Jesus Christ saving our soul. And we say, Lord, if they come against me because of my following you, you died for me, and it's the least I can do to stand strong for you. It's a privilege. Now, Paul's in jail, and that's pretty much where he spent a lot of time. I mean, he gets beat up a lot. You know, he lifts over Corinthians. He tells them how many times he got beat with this, how many times he got beat with that. I mean, shipwreck. you know, know, how many times he spent in this jail, how many times he spent in that jail. And I mean I mean it's a resume almost. I mean I mean times got run out of town. He says you're having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Now when the devil is giving you a hard time, you can take comfort in this. There are other people in this world who are going through the same thing. I mean, hey. You you don't hear about it on the news. You might hear whispers. You hear about that bus in Egypt in the last month where, 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 those, where those Muslim extremists killed, killed like 30-something people, just boarded the buses and just, just, just mowed them down. When guys said, you know, we, we're Christians, we're going to die as Christians. Last month, how much have you heard about the news? Get used to it, folks. Yeah, it's outrageous, but this, this is the territory that we're in. This is what we're dealing with, guys. It says, having the same conflict which you saw me and now here is in me. The fourth mark I'm talking about is the mark of reality. And what I mean by that is we are realistic. We're not looking at this through some romanticized rose colored glasses. I don't know what some folks think thinking when they get saved. I I, I think some folks I, I, I think, you know, now I'm gonna get saved and it's gonna be like a Disney movie. You know, and, and I'm going to trust Jesus, and, and it's going to be like snow white out in the forest, and the bluebirds are going to descend and, and, and on her because she's loved by all the little forest creatures. And, you know, the, the birds begin to sing in four-part harmony, and, and the trees are swaying, and the grass is singing. They're kissing the little butterflies, and Ticker Bell comes along, sprinkles a little fairy dust. You know, and, 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 and they think when I get saved, I'm going to live in a Disney movie. Uh How do you know, I don't even want to begin to try to tell you what kind of movie you're going to wind up in if you become a Christian? No. The reality is that in the Christian life, we're going to have conflict. And there's going to be adversity. And we just need to get real about this. And this is the reality of it. We are following in the footsteps of men and women like the Apostle Paul. People who loved the Lord and stood true. And when we stand true, when we're united, when we're consistent, when we're brave, when we're real, knowing that all of this that's coming against us, that just goes with the Christian turf. When we follow in the footsteps of a man like Paul, we're living out the Christian life to the max. I want you to know we will experience the presence and power of the living Christ in our lives. I I can think of at least two things that can help us through this as believers. Two anchors that you kind of throw out to keep you steady in this life. And the first one is faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Remember that with God all things are possible, Right? Remember all those people in Hebrews chapter 11 who walked in faith like Abraham and Noah and Enoch, all those godly people? Remember that God really does impossible things. He split the Red Sea. He peeled back the waters of the Jordan. He caused the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, and even raised some of them from the dead. And the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has not changed. The shadow does not turn. His word has not changed. Times might be tough, but God is on the scene, and he's an on-time God. Oh, yes, he is. So we need the anchor of faith, and then we need the anchor of prayer. Paul lived in a climate of prayer, and so God would speak to his heart. God would give him a message. God would give him hope. Listen, it's in the prayer closet that we draw strength from on high. I think of 120 disheartened people whose Savior had been crucified, who gathered on the day of Pentecost, and they just began to pray. And how God came down with tongues of fire and a rushing mighty wind and emboldened and energized them to go out and shake the world with no resources at their disposal. I see a man of God, Elijah, standing on a mountain. He's the only one standing for God. And as he prays and seeks the face of God, God rips open the sky, sends down a fiery revival that blasts the altar with his grace and power. So, hey, that's the God you serve. So wake up. Come back from your happy place. You know, listen to me, church. It is time to say goodbye. To this loosey goosey, namby pamby, wimpy, skimpy, goofy, loopy, <laughs> brill cream Christianity, a little dabble, do ya? <laughs> Folks. It is time for us to lay aside the sparklers and the firecrackers and pull out the heavy ordinance. And let the church of God rise up from its rut, shed its compromise, and stand firm like an iron peg hammered into the sin-blasted landscape of this world. Let the voice of the church rise up like thunder. It is time to rise up, church of living God, and shake hell for the cause of Christ. Man, let's bow our heads. Some of you, this morning, you're Christians, you're part of this church, and God is speaking to you. He's saying, I want you to take a firmer stand in your life. This morning, we, we invite you to come to this altar. Some of you, you've been visiting this church You've been visiting this church long enough. We think you're a church member. But God's saying, I want you to be active. I want you to be a part of this body of Christ. I'm calling you to active duty. We would love to have you become a part of this family. It is a family. It is a church, a body of believers. Some of you, this morning, God has put his finger on your heart. And he's saying, I want you. I want your life. Give me your sin. Give me your heartbreak. Give me your challenges. I will give you salvation. Jesus is saying, come, kneel at the cross. Let me be your Savior and Lord. Give me your life. And I'll give you mine. He's calling you to get saved, to follow him, to be his disciple this morning. You're saying, Russell, I don't know how to do that. Right where you're sitting, I want you to pray this prayer, meet it with all your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that my sins will send me to hell. But Lord, in my heart of hearts, the best I know how, I kneel before your cross and I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I repent repent. And I'm asking you to come into my heart and be the master and Lord of my life. Lord, save my soul. In your precious name I pray, amen.